Hi, you're listening to Tales from the Jungle, Living with Addiction. This is a podcast written and produced by a mom of an addict, specifically for other families who live with and or interact with an addicted family member. Hi, Jungle fans. Welcome back. I know it's been a while since my last broadcast, and as I say in all my introductions, I'm doing the podcast in order to help you that have family members struggling with addiction. That means when I do a podcast, I want to make sure that there's meaningful content. And now that means that I may only do one broadcast per year. So here we are, start of 2024. And this one is about what I've learned and what Casey helps me understand from the past year. I'm so excited that you're here, and our last broadcast seemed to be a big hit. Happy to be here. Um, I came down here for sun and got a tornado. Yeah, isn't that always (laughs) fun? (laughs) Well, so this time, what I was thinking is Barbie is the big movie of the year for 2023, Mm -hmm. and I thought, why not look at how gender impacts addiction how people get started and really is there a difference between what starts men versus what starts women into addiction or what are their um, reasons for beginning and I know it's a really broad topic and I don't expect you to know everyone's minds but I didn't know if overall you have an idea of why men would start and if it's different from why women would start. Um, I don't think there's that much of a difference between how it started because, I mean, honestly, I think it's about who you hang out with originally. I, and I think that, um, I think that, you know, every time when you're in like high school and everything, you're going to get peer pressure. So, and everybody wants to fit in, right? So you don't want to be the one person not doing something. And, you know, people say no for a while, but eventually... So do you think the peer pressure is worse for women than it is for for girls than it is for boys? No, no. I Sometimes it's a, I think it might be a little bit worse for men because they get their ego kind of hurt a little bit if they don't do something that everybody else is doing. Right. Um, but I think that also um, girls want to fit in more than anything at that age. So, well, and my understanding was that you really started, you had, played around a little bit with drugs beforehand, but you really started into drugs after high school. So it almost wasn't like it was peer pressure. Well, I didn't do anything in high school. Okay. So, Um, so then that isn't necessarily the reason why. Well, it is because it doesn't have to be in high school. And I also was 17 as a senior. That's true. So, um, and also, I didn't grow into myself till I was, like, 16, 17. So it was junior, senior anyways. And by then, it was cool to hang out with older people. 
So once you start hanging out with older people, then it, it changes the dynamic a little bit. So, you know, it always starts out, you know, normal with the, you know, occasional drinking and parties and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, eventually, you know, it leads to other things. Um, and, you know, every, I'm not going to say everybody, but 99%, <laughs> I feel like, have at least tried something um, at one point or another. Um, and that's just because, you know, you're young and you experimenting on stuff. You know, you're only that age once you tell yourself, you know, try everything once. <laughs> um, and uh, so you do that. And sometimes um, certain things, you know, you'd be like, well, I'm never going to try that. Why would I want to try that? Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't always go straight from zero to 100. Right. So, and I'm not talking about how marijuana, they say marijuana is a gateway drug or whatever. Um, I guess it can be the start of if people have a good experience with marijuana. I think it also helps destigmatize the idea of going into drugs. Right. Yeah. I think it's like, is what's a big deal? It's marijuana. You know, right. they can, it's like alcohol, you know. But then they can take each step along the way. Well, I did marijuana. Maybe I'll try this. It wasn't mm-hmm. that bad. People made it sound worse than it is, and I enjoyed it. So, I, I and honestly, I hear that a lot. But the thing is, I do think most people who who start out or try drugs have started out on marijuana. Um, but that's just because that's the easiest one to start out, and that Absolutely. has the less side effects, less risks. So, you know, if you do anything, you're going to try that. If you don't die. <laughs> you know, and if it was a decent experience, like something that has never happened to you, then you and know, how many people have died on marijuana? Exactly. So, um, I mean, brain cells have been lost, but yeah. <laughs> there's always that. <laughs> I hear they grow back, but you never know. Yeah, I um, don't know. <laughs> there's some people, um, but I think that um, it also can happen. You know, as easy as you, you know, broke something. Like, and you're in a doctor's office, and they tell you to take this, and it's like, oh, where did this come from? Right. <laughs> you and, know? and I think that really leads me into my next point. I think I mentioned to you that I started listening to this podcaster, John Deloney, and shout out to John. Um, but he reframed it um, about why people start with addiction, saying that it's actually healthy. And that could be really an interesting way of looking at it. But he started it with the history that first addiction was a criminal activity and people were doing something wrong and they could just stop if they wanted. And then it became a disease and they needed help and they needed medicine to get better and you shouldn't blame them but it's still a disease and something wrong with them he started saying that something he started hearing in meetings that he doesn't hear anywhere else is it was actually a healthy thing that addicts do because there's something wrong there's something missing whether it's serotonin or something else in their system or there's some trauma or something that needed to be addressed and so they are looking for a way to address that problem and they don't have the resources to be able to go to medical school figure out what's wrong and get it all straightened out instead they start experimenting and do what feels good and what helps them 
What do you think about that? So, I mean, he's absolutely right when he's saying that there's a deficiency somewhere. And it's not like they're, you know, these kids are like, oh, I feel like I don't have as much of this or this. I mean, you can feel like you're tired or you can feel like you're not. you got that haze um, and you don't know why. But I think it only comes down to when you experiment and then when something gives you that rush of whatever you're lacking, then you were like, whoa, I I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to feel like, you know, that, how are you, normal. That wasn't normal. This is normal. Right. I want to feel like this all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is, this is great. Yeah. Um, and so... You Can know, we when, all feel that way? Right, right. <laughs> and the first time, it's always, like, the best. And I don't know why. But it's just like, um, I don't know, it's just like, it, it's, it's a definitely a unique experience and you're always trying to get that same one as a first, but you never will. They call it chasing the dragon. Yeah, it absolutely is. But the thing is, um, after a while, you're, you know, you're not chasing anything because you're just staying normal. We're trying to be normal because right. if you don't have it, then you're not normal. Exactly. But I do not think it is healthy. Well, when he says it's healthy, what he's saying is it's healthy to try and find a solution to the problem. He said that solution may kill you, but at the time it was healthy. And in order to get better, you have to find a different solution for it. You have to replace it with something. No, I totally, I totally understand what he's saying with that. But the thing is, like I was saying before, like it's not like they know about the deficiency. So right. they're not like they're like, okay, let me try this. Let me see if this will fix the problem. Or if this they just know that they feel better. But when when they start going to meetings, when they start going through rehab and all of that, don't they learn about some of the reasons why addicts start reaching for the pills, why they get addicted? Not just the genetic portion, but the the body um way it synthesizes things and the deficiencies yeah uh, yeah and we all get you know informed about you know why you know we have certain docs or drugs of choice right um because we you know whatever we're deficient in we're gonna you know steer towards that so given all of that what would you say you feel like your greatest need was when you started what was it that prompted you to take that next step, knowing that it could lead to addiction? Um, well, I know that, you know, I had, you know, been prescribed opiates before and I knew that I liked them. Like I liked the feeling like it was, it was almost like cool every now and then. And I would only do it every now and then. Um, and I would never look for it. It was only if, you know, it would happen to be around. And actually the first time I did go, actively look for it I got tricked so I thought it was something else and that's what I was told well explain that more so you go to someone and you asked for what Percocet or Oxycontin really any pain pill okay um, they could get their hands on right um, and then that's what I was told it was. I was still a little sketched out because it was in an extended release capsule so I was like this doesn't look right and what was it it was heroin in a capsule in a capsule so, so it wasn't something you injected. It wasn't no. something you snorted. It wasn't anything like that. It was no, in a capsule. No, it's in a, you snort it, but they put it in a capsule and you just open it up. 
Okay. And then you and then you do what you got. You snort it from there. Right. Um. So, but I know that none of those pills that I was talking about come in extended release capsules <laughs> where you can open them up and they didn't have any numbers on them. And it, I knew it was sketchy. And I kept asking and I kept asking and I kept getting told, no, no, that's not. It is what you what I told you it was. And at that point, I was already like, I'm just going to do it anyways, whatever. Um, and that's, you know, kind of how it went downhill from there. So what happened? You did, you snorted it and yeah. then what? I absolutely fell in love with it, but I didn't just go off the rails after that. Um, I didn't do it for months mm-hmm. um, because it kind of terrified me at that point. Um, and then I started hanging around those same kids that originally got it for me. Right. Um, and I still was, you know, putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. But eventually, you know, I, there was a, you know, I had a bad day or whatever it was. And I, I did it again and then I did it again. Right. And it kind of, and then it went down a spiral from there. Okay. So this wasn't peer pressure. This was just, um, something that you had tried. You liked it. What was there a need you think in you just you think that your body was in balance and you were trying to get more balanced, um, not knowing that's what it was? Or what do you think that was? Yeah, so I think my entire life I have been just tired all the time, no matter how much sleep I got or how little I would always be tired. Mm-hmm. And the first moment I did that, I stopped being tired for the first time in my life. Oh, wow. So I was able to, you know, I wanted to get up and do things. I wanted to clean. I wanted to be a normal person. And I was like, well, this is all I need to live my life. <laughs> like I found it. This is the key. This is the answer. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's the solution that we choose for our problem. Um, that's not the problem. Um, we right. just don't know any other way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's one other thing that I want to talk about that's on a completely different subject. Um, and it's something that I saw on, it was either Dateline or 48 Hours, one of those true crime episodes. And they brought up something called the 13th step. <laughs> and oh, uh, no. <laughs> I had never heard of it before, which is surprising to me because I'd been around the community for so long now. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that was interesting. I remember I called you right away and I said, have you heard of this? And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody who has been, even if you've been in the room once, you know what that is. <laughs> so tell us, what is the 13th step? Um, typically the 13th step, and this goes for men or women. It's not gender specific. Usually it leans toward a certain gender that's the predator in the situation. Right. Um, because, you know, there's newcomers who are um, vulnerable and, you know, they they don't know what to do. And they've never been in, you know, recovery or they've been in it a couple times and they really want to get sober. And they just need help, right? So it's always a newcomer. Always a newcomer. Okay. Always. And there are people there who have been, you know, sober for years and years. But they're still sick, you know? Right. And so, you know, sick people trying to help sick people doesn't always work very well. Mm-hmm. Um so and know, they have different motivations than getting well. Exactly, and I think that they know that it's you know it's biggest circle of kids their age, hanging out who have their same problem. They know what they're going through, and you know it's better than going to a bar. You know, <laughs> like you have a better shot. <laughs> you know, 
Well, I don't think you've said what it is yet. Oh, yes. So it's um, <laughs> them, uh, either man or woman, praying who has um, a length of time in sobriety, praying on someone new to sobriety um, for a relationship. Okay, so when you say praying on them, you're saying approaching them, yes. willing to mentor them or whatever yes. with their true intent of being having a relationship or something more nefarious. Yes, that's why they always say, that's why you're not supposed to have a opposite sex um, um, sponsor. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> because you get vulnerable with that sponsor and you right. tell them everything, like everything you've never told anybody before. So, you know, you, then you start feeling close to that person. Yeah. And, you know, that's how it works. That's why they say you never get the same sex sponsor ever. And yeah, no, I totally get that. Um, but as a parent or a family member, sibling, whatever, and you're trying to help um, an addict who does want to, does who's a newbie, but mm-hmm. does really want to get sober, wants to figure out how to overcome, since this is so prevalent in all these mm-hmm. meetings, what's the best way to think about it? Well, I don't think it's so much think about it. I think you need to go to your gender meeting. So all female or all male meeting, depending on your gender, um, for at least the first 30 to 60 days. And they might not be the funnest meetings. They may may not be the best ones you've ever been to, but they will help you. And there will be women or men there that have length of time and can show you a good way to live your life. So you think after 30 or 60 days, you're not going to be vulnerable to these predators? I'm not saying that you won't be vulnerable, but you will at least be less vulnerable and you will have a chance to be able to say, hey, this doesn't seem right, you know, because you're clear headed by then and you kind of know, you know, what the program is and why you went to the female meetings or male meetings, all male meetings or all female meetings um, first. So do you um, know if any of the meetings or most of the meetings, do they actually talk about the 13th step openly do they let people know that this is a problem for sometimes and that um you know that people should be aware of it or do they is it just like an underground thing where it's the gossip and you hear about it no it's definitely it's definitely talked about openly um and it's like a taboo thing like everybody knows not to do it so most of the time they'll hide if they have a relationship with a person um or they'll hide it for a little bit until that person gets enough time where then they can come out and say hey we're dating Um, um and that person has six months now and it doesn't seem weird anymore Okay. okay. So, um, but you know, the cool people close to those people know the real story, right? <laughs> you know, and a lot of times it's a small community in these rooms. So everyone will find out and then it's just gossip after that. And it is, you know, looked down upon and it's like one of those unwritten rules. Right. I mean, I guess it is a written rule, but it's a <laughs> suggestion. So, right. They're not saying you have to do this to be part of this program, but if you want to succeed, not to get in a relationship within the first year. Um, and I agree and disagree with that. It really all depends on where you are towards the end of that year or, you know, after six months at least. Okay. Um, because I don't think that if, you know, you meet someone that 
is great. You should be like, oh, I got to wait another six months before I can start dating. So this is going to be a no go because it is tough out there. (laughs) You know what I mean? So if you find a good one, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, you get two people who are former addicts. Um, It's so easy for one to bring the other one down. If one relapses, most likely the other one's going to relapse. Don't they always suggest against two addicts dating each other they do and i'm not saying that if you meet some it doesn't mean you meet, met someone and they were an addict um it's not saying that you can only not date you know addicts or alcoholics during that year it's anybody so if you were to happen to meet someone at work after being six months clean you know what i mean it's it's okay if if you know you know their true intent and um, the kind of person they are, and you feel comfortable in the situation. But isn't it more difficult, though, for, I mean, no matter how much time two people have in recovery, mm-hmm. how often does it work out where you have two addicts get together, get married, have kids, whatever, and mm-hmm. not have a relapse? I think that it's a very strong possibility if the two people have the same drug of choice. So oh. if you have two heroin addicts, that's that's a recipe for disaster. Right. Um, or two And isn't it common that, that that's usually the two that are drawn together because you you have that in common and you can relate on the experience of the drug choice? Yeah, and I but I also think that um, you know, some are more popular than others. Yeah. So um, you know, you have a you know sixty percent chance of getting someone who likes the same thing you like. Right. You know, right. but I th- I do think that people who have way different drug of choice have a better chance. And and I totally understand and I I can see that because um, that's the closest you're going to get to dating someone who doesn't have a drug of choice. Exactly. The other the other side of that coin is that finding someone who is not a former addict, mm-hmm. who's willing to go through what it takes to be with someone who's a former addict, because mm-hmm. there's so much involved with all of that. Oh yeah, and and even if they've been in recovery and they're doing well. There's everyday things that come up, even just Christmas parties for the company or different things like that. There's all these triggers and different things that someone who has never dealt with the recovery community wouldn't even understand, I don't think. No, and you can kind of look at it as like a dormant volcano. Um, Most likely it won't if you have enough time with it, it being not you know going off I guess or erupting <laughs> right. um then you have a good chance that you're probably okay right so when you say when a good time of it erupting are you talking about the relapse not saying good time no if, it, if no I'm saying a good amount of time. time yeah 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 so of a, a of you know as an eruption as compares to relapsing so but you have to know going into that relationship that it's possible right so you know with the, what's possible their relapse the, right like they the volcano erupting okay um so it, it, it is a it is a gamble whenever you're dating an addict but nowadays it's really hard to find ones that aren't it's just so prevalent but i know especially people my age they still have the old school mentality and the old school stigma about it when you say your age you're talking about mid to late 
30s. Yes, yes. Um, even early 40s. Um, right. There's still the stigma that, you know, a drug addict's a drug addict, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to, you know, eventually mess up at some point. And 90% of the time, that's accurate. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's everybody. Right. Um, so yeah, you're always going to have that and you always have to remember that, that that's what you sign up for. Right. Right. Okay. So we're at a point now where, um, I'm going to close this episode. I think that we're having such a good discussion that we'll go ahead and create a part two. Yeah. And um, then we'll drop that episode in another week. But um, we'll see you back here shortly. Music is Riding the Dragon by Movie Theater.